0: Welcome to Radioactive Teens. I'm Lily, welcoming you back to our third and final podcast for the year. First off, many students at CTSS have involved climate strikes this year, taking place in and around Cork City. Our producers Danny and Rosaline have the segment covered. On Friday, the 4th of March, students from the Students' Climate Action Network, known as SCAN, paid a visit to 5th and 6th class in Cork Educate Together National School. They gave interactive workshops on climate justice and how to take action. Danny will be talking about this. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, What exactly did the Climate Action Network include in their presentation? Well, we included... A presentation with lots of information we had a few games and at the end we did a quiz about climate justice. Um, what was the presentation about like what aspect of climate action? So climate justice is the idea that in order to solve climate change and global warming that we also have to do it in a fair and equal way to make sure that everybody is respected. That's a brilliant topic um, do you think the classes you uh, taught were interested in this topic and will take action or justice? Well we spoke to fifth class and sixth class and I think they were both very interested especially in the course because it had prizes. Do you think enough is being done to educate children about the climate crisis? I think that more could be done in the area of climate justice and that they shouldn't just be educating kids about the problem. They should be giving them the tools to fix it themselves. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you. Next, we talk to Edwin, one of the teachers facilitating the Model UN activities throughout this year. Hi, Edwin, thank you for joining us for this interview. And our first question is What is a Model UN and why did you choose to run it for the school?
1: So Model United Nations is a simulation of the real United Nations, and it was created to give students the opportunity to understand how the United Nations works. The United Nations is like the global government. It's the only thing that we have where countries can meet and try to solve world problems together. Um, So it's important that young people understand how it works, and hopefully they'll be part of the real United Nations as they get older um, to try and address global problems. I'm not the only one who is running it so I couldn't have done this year without Michaela so she's also a really uh, um, central part uh, to helping model United Nations in the school.
0: Um, How many competitions did you enter this year? Yeah
1: so they're called conferences um, and it's it pushes kind of cooperation between countries. So, so students are given a country and they're given an, a global problem and they have to research that country and try to figure out how that country would respond to this global problem. And then when they go to the conference, they try and represent their country as faithfully as possible. So going around to other countries to see if they can get support. This year, we've done three this year yeah
0: uh, which year group entered, and what ch- what country did they represent
1: um, we had a senior team in a city hall before or just after Christmas I think it was January um, and they were representing four different countries maybe three countries and one of them was representing an international organization like maybe Amnesty International or uh, the European Union or something Um that was mostly 50 years, and they had a great time. And we had another group of four cheers go to another conference, and then it was uh, first years who came with me to Wicklow, uh, to the Model United Nations there.
0: What have you learned most from Model United Nations? Uh,
1: um, well, first, I'm, I'm jealous that it wasn't there when I was young. Um, so I've learned that... <coughs> The biggest thing I've learned is that students don't really understand how it works until they do it. So when we're preparing before the conference, if it's their first ever one, they can get a bit worried about it. But then when they're actually doing it, it makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of people there to help them do it correctly. Um, So I think that's the thing I learned the most is that it ends up being something they really, really enjoy but they worry about it or are a little confused about it before they actually do it.
0: What are the main skills that uh, benefit you from the Model UN experience? Yes, yeah, so I
1: think this is one of the best things about it is that students who do it, they learn how to research properly. They also learn how to critically evaluate information. They learn how to compromise. They learn how to write policies. They learn how to write resolutions. A resolution is basically your country's solution to a problem, and then you present that to all the other countries And they either agree with your resolution or they want to change your resolution a little bit. Or maybe they want to block your resolution altogether. Like if the resolution was to stop Russia from fighting in Ukraine, obviously Russia is going to block that. Uh,
0: Thank you so much for all this information. And we hope to hear back from you soon. No problem.
1: We meet every Wednesday in room 19. Um, So if it's something that interests you, come along.
0: Lastly, we have a piece of creative non fiction from fifth year.
2: The Food of Dreams An Essay on What Feeds My Imagination by Killian Lynch. Ever since I was a small child, I've had a vivid imagination. It's been remarked upon by people throughout my life, with fondness, amusement, and occasionally annoyance. A child with an overactive imagination, you see, is one who exaggerates, lies, and spins stories at every given opportunity. It could be hard for people to understand that there was no malice behind it, no delight in trickery. There are simply so many more possibilities for the world. Nevertheless, I was a dreamer, that much is certain. Every facet, every nook and cranny of the world around me was something that could be twisted, expanded upon, or colored differently in my little head. The trees clustered together in rows by the narrow lanes above my house were the hands of giants, spindly and grasping towards the soft clouds above, which were filled with snow and sugar. The decrepit little house down the road from my grandparents, with dust-cake windows, splintered and gaping doorframe, was home to a secret family of spider royalty, who had escaped from the insurgents of the swarming flies in the dump across the way. There was an, there was a hidden world behind every closed door, a lurking beast in every shadow, and an adventure at every turn. The very world was my muse, and I the chubby-cheeked little poet who could barely tie his own shoes. I could stare at a blank wall with peeling paint and create some story about a map hidden beneath, leading to some buried treasure. It never mattered how rigid and boring the world seemed i could always find a story to make it to my liking such a voracious imagination requires feeding of course and feed it i did my first fuel before i could even walk was the stories my father would tell me at his knee or before bedtime and i loved those stories filled with quirky characters who we would of course all give silly voices to which delight me to no end and outlandish situations my personal favorite was Alphonse the Bonobo, who would go on wild adventures with a motley gaggle of children, who all seemed curiously to resemble members of my own family. They would be summoned to action by three sharp knocks to their bedroom windows, and every time he would tell me, he would rap sharply on the table, causing me to jump. Every time. Every story ended the same way, that I recollect with more clarity than anything else. Our heroes would find themselves in sudden peril, after believing they'd save the day, and he would pause. The breath of the world was held in that pause, to my enraptured little mind. Eventually, I would be no longer able to take it, and I would ask, what then? And so he would smile at me, and say, and then it was time for bed, and refuse to elaborate on the story any further. Sometimes he would wrap up the endings the next night, sometimes not. All I remember is that at night... I would often dream of those stories, and the characters would dance to life to act through lands far, far away from my little bed. My grandmother, too, would read me stories. These were a little more pedestrian, as they came from pre-existing fiction, but I didn't mind any less. They were classics for a reason. They varied immensely, from the clean-cut, sleepy English countryside of Enid Blyton to the bustling, sun-scorched lands of the thousand and one Arabian nights. It never mattered ultimately, because my ravenous imagination would be sated either way. Whatever book my granny would read to me at the time would be fixed in my mind. In the multicoloured, sugary hue of my young imagination, I would wander through whatever faraway land it detailed, battle dragons and share exotic meals with my favourite characters. So it was no surprise to anyone that when I first started to read, I did so ravenously. I started quite young almost as if my excitable younger self was too impatient to wait any longer. Book after book I exhumed, the inky, slithering words nearly falling off the pages as I tore through tome after tome. It never mattered what it was that I was reading back then, so long as there were words on the page. Be it classic or modern, adventure stories or garden journals, nothing was spared. My mother used to joke that I was like the book-eating boy from the Oliver Jeffers book, one of my favourites when I was very small and there certainly was a resemblance. Nevertheless, the sheer quantity I would read was enough to fu- was enough fuel to drive my young imagination to a raging bonfire. Growing older, my tastes matured, as with most things. I began to realize the nuance of genres, for catering to certain cravings. If I was in the mood for action and excitement, I would read something of the like, involving swashbuckling pirates sailing over stormy seas, secret agents and the trail of dastardly villains or gladiators in the great coliseums of Rome. When I felt pensive, a classic was usually the go-to, as all of the philosophical musings, layered between the thick, yellowing pages in them, would always have me deep in thought. Likewise for comedy, comfort, or mystery and dread, whatever shade tinted my inner cinema was fueled by stories with a similar theme. It might seem obvious, but it was revolutionary to me at the time. The idea that you could control what you would feed your imagination something that had never occurred before, and once it did, it opened up new lanes entirely. Of course, as important as books were, they were far from my only source of inspiration. The world of film was always a strong muse to me, likewise music, the natural world, and even more unlikely sources, such as current political affairs and science. When you're young, everything you see and touch is coated in the shimmering golden layer of fresh perspective. Nothing is too trivial not to be interesting because everything is new. It's only as we age that that shiny coat begins to peel away, rubbed off onto the greasy, inquisitive fingers of curious youth and leaving the ordinary objects of of everyday life behind. Anything can be magical and interesting, a font of new thinking for the ever-parched imagination to drink from, and so drink it did. My early childhood, as stated before, was coloured with wonder, and the vibrant paints which did so were blended from everything around me. In particular, two of my earliest scientific loves sparked a cavalcade of daydreams, games of imagination with my younger siblings, and even numerous, pretty terrible, drawings. The ancient history of the dinosaurs and the infinite expanse of space. Both very common interests for young boys, and I was no exception. There's a photograph of me at the age of about seven or eight, nearly crushed beneath the enormous bulk of one of my favourite books at the time, the Encyclopedia Dinosaur, pinning my legs to the seat beneath me. The book, if you look carefully, is roughly dog-eared and looks to be holding itself together, a clear indication of my young love for it. The book is a faux encyclopedia, which has entries on many different kinds of the more famous dinosaurs and is riddled with information of all kinds. I would read it before I went to sleep and dream that I was a dinosaur, stalking the vast and arid plains and humid conifer forests of the Cretaceous. For a time, dinosaurs were all I thought about, or what I drew, what I wrote about. Even, <laughs> yes, quite embarrassingly, what I played pretend as in the playground. An interest which I still hold passionately is space, and that, perhaps, was one of the biggest fuels of my imagination. I was fully obsessed, to tell the truth. The enormous, empty expanse of the night sky held me as a ca- powerless captive, as if I were thrall to some immense, dark siren a thousand light years from my yearning eyes. In fact, sometimes at night, I would sneak out of my room and sit outside, watching the stars and dreaming of what could be out there, what wonders hung sparkling and majestic on worlds strange and far away. That should illustrate the depths of my fixation. In Ninon Yoga and Ninon Bura, Astronauts was my favorite game to play with my friends. I read uncountable books, saw movies and documentaries of various levels of reality. Everything from Carl Sagan's Cosmos to watching and rewatching and re rewatching Star Wars. Because the whole premise seemed to me to be unreal. That we were living on a minuscule speck of rock and water orbiting a massive ball of fire, which itself was part of a galaxy comprised of millions and millions of these little clusters. The simple truth of the infinity of the night sky seemed less believable than the worlds of fantasy. I was nearly equally fond of in my favorite books. It still does, I suppose. Nevertheless, I was transfixed. If you had given my ten-year-old self three wishes, his first would be to have a rocket ship all of his own, and the other two would probably be something about keeping the rocket ship flying, like unlimited fuel or the negation of the speed of light. I was, as you can probably glean, an annoyingly precocious child. It is a sad, But undisputable fact that, as we grow, our lives are lost. Our lives lose a lot of their imagination. We turn to our older, we turn our older, wiser gazes from the stars above and the worlds of magic and mystery which lie on the other side of dreams and focus on the here and now, what is directly ahead of us. We have responsibilities, important things to be doing. Dreaming is, at worst, the pursuit of children, at best, An idle pastime, left to the side until our slight, until our cramped schedules can find a space to breathe for long enough to focus on it. Fortunately, this is beginning to change, albeit slowly. The enormous popularity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for instance, is a good example, as too is the rapidly growing fantasy market. We as a society are beginning to get back in touch with our inner children, those little dreamers perched in our hearts to whom taxes and bus routes and mortgages are nothing but another strange fancy. I like to think I've been able to keep in touch with my imaginative side. I'm still inspired by everything around me, my friends and relatives, the books I read, the podcasts I listen to, the films I watch, even the very countryside I live in, snippets of conversations I hear walking down the street of tales of comedy and tragedy and love, the way the light glints on the windows I pass, The way the birds chirp in the trees, the hobbies and interests of my loved ones, and even the bizarre and wonderful experience I share with them. All of it, all of it sparks something in me, turns the creative gears turning in my mind no different from when I was younger. All of it is fuel for my dreams, day and night, for the stories I write, for the ones I tell, for the music I play, for every creative idea I have, I've ever had. Same as it is for everyone. Because all creativity is a blend of every experience every sound, laugh, color, and story we've ever heard, seen, smelt, and felt. We pick pieces we like from the world around us and weave it into the art we make, and we call it creativity, call it inspiration. To put it simply, everything is the food for the imagination. You only have to dream enough to use it all.
0: On behalf of all of us at Creative Broadcasters, we'd like to thank you for sharing your stories and giving us your input this year. We wish you a safe and happy summer. You'll hear from us again in August.
2: Bruno! Oh no, we don't, don't talk, talk about, about Bruno! Bruno. No.
0: But it was <laughs> my wedding day! Wedding. We, we were getting ready and there was a little in the <laughs> sky, no clouds allowed! <laughs>